First five across the line are automatic. Obsi Yusuf's there, Ben Quinn. Risley needs to work hard here. Moorcroft, he needs to put some pace on. He's looking on his inside. Risley flashes around the outside, and he's going to take the win from Moorcroft, Matthews, Yusuf, and Gibson. In 2007, a young Jeff Risley qualified for the World Athletics Championships in Osaka. It marked the arrival of Jeff Risley on the international scene. Since then, Jeff has gone on to compete at the 2008, 2012, 2016 Olympics. Jeff is the fifth fastest man in Australian history over the 800 and 1500 metres and the sixth fastest over the mile. Remarkably, at 34 years of age, Jeff is not done. A few weeks ago, in a stacked 800 metres in Poland, Risley smashed down the home straight to stop the clock at 144.83 well inside the Olympic standard. Risley is off to his fourth Olympics. Longtime supporter and friend Len Johnson caught up with Jeff to discuss his career, comeback and heaps more. You know, I, I, I want to ask you now, you know, whether you, when you first believed that you could get back to doing what you've, what you've just done in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, because they're well, I, I mean, you were back obviously, and in good, you know, reasonably fit and, and running okay. And then um, the uh, the nationals was a, a bit of a setback, missing the final. And, yeah. Uh, you, you know, now you've come out and run these these three times. Yeah. Um, you know, did. Were you confident that you could do that this this year, and it was just a matter of, you know, a couple of things falling into place? That's all that needed. Um, not really. Uh, that's probably been the hardest part. I think physically, um, training had been going really well, and and even Jr. himself would say that I probably you know should have run much faster than what I did in the domestic season. But um, yeah, I guess the hardest part is when you haven't sort of run fast for five years. You know, the last time I ran sort of a world-class time was 145.1 in 2016. So the longer it, like the period is, you know, the more, I guess, self-doubt. And, um, yeah, even when I kind of walked through the um, the international departure thing at Melbourne Airport and said goodbye to my folks, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, um, you know. Maybe I should have just stayed home and like as soon as I went through the departure lounge, I was just like, well, this is it. And um, yeah, I, I'd actually had some really, really good training the five weeks leading up to that and, um, you know, things were going well. But yeah, it's just when you haven't done it for so long, it's a lot harder. And, um, you know, I caught the train out to Canigliano and I was on my own and on my own and I was actually rooming with a Romanian javelin thrower who didn't speak much English and okay um, yes that's a bit of a challenge yeah and then I was you know having lunch and dinner on my own and then I went out to the warm-up track and just felt like the day before and just felt really bad and my mind was just like what are you doing like I sort of thought you know it'd just be much easier to get back on the train go to Florence and then fly home to Australia and um yeah, that night I went and bought a block of chocolate and um, watched the movie and just tried to sort of get a lot of the, the negativity out of my mind. And, um, yeah, I guess the day of the race, I sort of just tried to embrace the fact that I was, you know, travelling around Europe in a global pandemic. 
um, you know, in this beautiful small Italian town. And um, I just kind of watched people warm up and I watched people compete and I was just like, well, I'm no different to them. And um, look, the race was pretty much perfect. I think it was 51-5 through the bell and I was sitting in third and got a good trail. And um, yeah, when I, I don't know, I didn't, I don't remember much of the race. I don't remember seeing times or, or anything, but um, yeah, when I went through the finish line, I saw 145-3 and I was like, what? what the hell just happened but um like I did spend three or oh, 25 days in an altitude tent over 300 hours you know I had five weeks at you know 110k a week the physiology was there it was it was just a matter of I guess believing that I could do it and um yeah that race just changed everything um you know a week yeah, later I went yeah. to Nice around 145.3 and I was disappointed um and I guess, you know, the whole five years I was sort of looking for a bit of a sign, you know, whether it was in training or racing just to, to show that I was back. Um, and, yeah, it just hadn't really quite come. And, um, yeah, once I sort of run that 145.3, yeah, everything sort of just clicked yeah. and, yeah. Mm. Now I'm going to a fourth well, form was... Yes, yeah, extraordinary. Um, I mean, your form here was in in terms of the people you were running against and and the couple of wins you had you beat Jack Jack Lund twice I think yeah um and, and I mean the times weren't weren't there but if you were tracking against the people who were running well you were you were going fairly well and you you know I mean you're training with with Peter yeah uh and in Justin's group so I guess you you could um, clock yourself off against him but just the uh and I suppose we can we can touch back to the to the Achilles injury here. Uh, getting back to that level of training, how how's how's that worked? I mean, do you do the the full sessions that the other guys do? Have you how's it sort of managed? How have you managed the load? Yeah, I guess if if we go sort of even back to the domestic season, just in terms of races. Um, and the results, like they didn't look great in paper, but I guess I was still kind of adapting a little bit to, you know, JR's program and, and racing off that program. And I remember my first race, I ran 148, and I'd done some really great training with Pete. And like I was sort of pushing him, if not, you know, in front of him in sessions. And um, I guess the valuable lesson I learned from that first race is how much um, neural fatigue can get you from doing a lot more speed than what I'm used to doing. Um, you know, and um, Pete and Joe and, and the group, they've sort of done it for a lot longer than me, whereas I was kind of new to it. Um, so that was sort of one thing that I kind of had to work out pretty quickly because, you know, I was also doing, you know, over the January period, I had some 120K weeks, you know, um, whereas Pete will typically stick around 60, you know, even during the season, oh, I sort yeah. of sit around, around 90K. So I, I sort of do have a little bit more of an aerobic focus. And then when you're throwing in that, that really fast, you know, we did four 400s on four minutes and we were going through the first um, 200 in 29.30 and me and Pete were running our last 200 in 23.5. Um, and that you know, like I was like, wow, I'm ready to go. But like the neural fatigue from that thing just stayed with me for a while and it seeped into Canberra and, um, you know, and we talked about the confidence and yeah, that like when I ran 148, I was just like, what, you know, maybe I just can't do this or it's not meant to be. So the whole season was kind of just trying to 
you know, knowing you're training really well, but the results kind of weren't coming. And, and then, um, mm, you know, I ran that yeah. 147.0 in, in Canberra. And then two days later, I ran 146.8 and, and things were starting to, to sort of pick up. And, um, you know, we'd sort of, you know, I was pretty confident of going to, to, to Brisbane for the track classic and running 146 low, maybe 145 high um, if, if things kind of went well. But um, I was doing a session with Brad and um, we were doing some 224 and I got clipped um, leading a rep and sort of stumbled and, and actually tweaked my hammy a little bit. So right. that yeah. meant I had to pull out of that and um, I didn't really get any training leading into nationals and then just had no confidence, ran conservatively. Um, yeah, didn't probably respect the guys and, you know, tried to give them 15, 20 metres in the last 100 and try and catch them and I nearly did. But, mm. um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, the season on paper didn't look that good but I think all the training and, you know, my conditioning was, was sort of, you know, and, I think looking back, I think that two weeks with my hammy might have actually been the best thing that happened to me because it sort of gave my body a bit of a rest. I had nationals um, and then I did five weeks of the best training I've ever done for for years and, and three of those or 25 of those days were in an altitude tent. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, like if your physiology is good and you've done the work, you can run well. You can't You can't run well if you haven't done the work. So it was just sort of a matter of sort of, fine-tuning the kind of the mental side and yeah and you know even with every race in europe you know my first race around 143 and then i ran 145.3 again in nice and i was disappointed and every time my level of expectation kept rising um you know yeah. even the race where i ran 144.8 you know it wasn't perfect i only got through in 52.1 there was 14 guys in the race you know i still yeah so you know i it was a beautiful track and beautiful weather and, and, you know, I was sort of weaving up the inside and saved some ground. and But still, I think, you know, there's probably maybe half a second there still. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Mm, mm. And um, you sort of touched on a little bit there, but adjust, how different is, is Justin's approach to what you've been sort of used to earlier in your career? Yeah, well, you know, you sort of mentioned my Achilles surgery in 2018 and um, it was at that sort of time that I actually started coaching myself. Um, my coach, Andrew Russell, um, got the head job at Carlton after moving from Hawthorne and and his wife got the yeah, swimming, yeah. CEO, uh, swimming Australia CEO role. So, you know, their family time was just yeah. really impacted. So I actually took it upon myself to, to take over the whole group. So that meant, you know, Zach Patterson, um, James Hansen and Tom Forthorpe. So... Um, okay. yeah, it was, yep. it was quite a long rehab from the surgery. Um, probably took nine months and, and you probably would have seen me in 2019, you know, running 15k at Ballarat and, um, yeah, yeah. yeah just my mentality was more because I'd had so many injuries and just like, I was just cortisones in Achilles and six months on anti-inflammatories and it just kind of really took the enjoyment out of, away from running. So yep. I sort of had the Achilles surgery, not with the view to try and make a fourth Olympics, but just to try and be healthy and enjoy my running again. And and if I could do that, then things might flow. So, um, th- so what what stage of twenty eighteen did you have the surgery? Uh, I had it when I got back from Europe in I think September. Um, right. So right. I probably so didn't. Like yeah. So I think Ballarat fifteen k was about the first time he hit a hundred k a week pro surgery, which was. Um, right. about okay. 10 or 11 months later 
Um, yep. Yeah. So, and then from there, like obviously, um, I did some racing um, around 147.7. Things were going okay, but the Tokyo Olympics actually been de- delayed. Probably helped me. Um, you know, during COVID, I was running 130k a week. I was doing 10k thresholds and um, in three tens and and four by two minutes and. You know, I ran that tan race that was sort of set up and I was the fittest I'd ever been, but I only ran about 10.48, which is not too bad, but I was just sort of finding um, and there was a tweet that um, Nick Willis put out and, and he's probably one of the guys I respect the most in running and, and and it was a tweet that resonated with me and he sort of said as he got older, um, he just sort of found the speed stuff took a lot longer to get. Um, mm, and yeah. And that's probably, you know, what I learned through that period was like I was doing all this running and I was as fit as I'd ever been, but I it just wasn't correlating to what I needed to do, which was more 800, yeah. 1500 meter type work. Um, yep. And yeah, we sort of got put in that really hard lockdown and um, I couldn't even train with anyone. So I decided to sort of take a bit of a break and had a bit of reflection. And, you know, that previous 52 weeks I'd averaged about 105k a week so I'd done a heap of work um and I kind of realized that this is probably my last chance of being an athlete and I had to sort of move away from the coaching and actually start concentrating on myself because I was just kind of finding it hard to juggle you know investing so much sort of energy into the other guys which I absolutely love but you know when it came to me being an athlete not really having that same you know person to kind of lean on and um yeah. yeah and that's yeah. when I you know JR so transparent with his training on social media and I really respect what he's done yes. with with Pete and Joe and I just thought if I want to try and you know make it something from this you know and go out of the sport you know um sort of with a good result and and feeling good about my career then I probably need to train with the best 800 meter guys in the country and that's mm. Pete and Joe so yeah during that lockdown I, I well he's got that hasn't he yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's when I just sort of, you know, I spent a week or two, I was pretty nervous and I was sort of writing a plan of how I thought the conversation might go and, you know, how I, you know, would sort of structure the conversation and just sort of figure out, you know, have a chat about training and then sort of, you know, just sort of see what he thought. And I didn't want to also sort of, you know, disrupt the culture that he was trying to create in the group, um, you know, me coming in and, yep. um yeah, so yeah, conversation went well and asked him to coach me and yeah, he's just got so much enthusiasm for for the sport and um you know, during that lockdown he's on Google Earth finding places for us to train and he's always there with cones and everything's set up and everything's organized and it's just sort of really nice to be able to turn up and just be an athlete and and just train again and you know, not knowing the sessions yeah. and yeah. um yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, we've got a really good relationship. I've obviously, you know, I'm 34 and I sort of know what I need a little bit. And, um, you know, he obviously does a lot of the structure around the sessions. And then I kind of, I probably manage a little bit of the volume around that in the background myself. So, yeah. um, you know, and yep. Saturday yep. sessions that are a bit more aerobic, um, you know, I probably work a little bit harder than some of the other guys. Um you know that it's not quite as important to them whereas i i sort of really still value the aerobic stuff so i i get after it a bit right. more on on right. saturdays whereas they sometimes just use it as a bit of a three-quarter kind of top-up session if you know what i mean um yep. around all the yep. other things yep. so um mm-hmm. yeah so how many how many 
how many days a week would you be working together as a group? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you're doing roughly, you know, double the, the kilometres a week that Peter does say, well, obviously he's not doing a, an hour run with you or anything of that nature. But, yeah, so how does it work? You just all come together for particular sessions and yeah, so in the, between do your own kind of thing? Yeah, the structure sort of varies depending on the year, but it's a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule. Most recently before I came yeah. over to Europe, we sort of switched things around a little bit and had um, Tuesdays aerobic at um, Princess Park, um, Thursday hills at either Fitzroy Gardens or the MCG, um, and then Saturday would right. be track session, and then Sunday would be long run around um, Ivanhoe. Um, yep. So I would meet the guys yep. four times a week. Um, Pete, Joe, and Brad do speed on Monday, but I've mm-hmm. I do it occasionally, but I just sort of find I don't recover out of it that well and it kind of seeps a bit into my training. Um, and, yep. um, yeah, so I sort of usually run sort of 50 minutes all the other days around that and that sort of gets me up to about 110. Um, and then, yeah, during the season sometimes I'll jump in on that speed stuff, but I kind of find the track sessions um, and even the hills is sort of enough, you know, sort of speed and kind of turnover for, for the kind of, mm. you know, athlete I am. Um, yeah, yep. so it's, yeah, it's mm. kind of worked in really well. And, um, yeah, Pete and, and Brad have been, yeah, great to train with. And, yeah, it's just it's been enjoyable again. Mm. Well, I dare say Brad's having a bit of a nervous wait. He's right on the cusp of the field, isn't he? I, uh, I think he's last time fairly... I, I've, been, I've been trying to follow the rankings. Yeah. It drives you bananas, I've got to say. But, uh, well, he... Uh, yeah. he uh, Tori Salias in the last race, but the men's 8 oh, hundred's no. actually pretty crazy. I think from what um, JR told me, I think nearly 40 of the spots are going to automatic qualifiers who have run the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yep. then there's a few universal spots. So there's only there's about... A, there's a couple of universal Yeah, I think there's only actually about four, three or four spots that are actually being taken up by, by world mm-hmm. rankings, which is... Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to think mm. that 40 guys have run under 145.2 in the period, um, yeah. which, yeah. you know, just, I think, yeah, the standards are obviously, I think for Rio, they were only 146.0. Um, it's just kind yeah. of interesting, um, and whether it's the shoes or not, um, but, you know, you set the bar a bit higher, and if that's what it takes, people kind of just do whatever, yeah. you know, they yeah. they rise to the level so it's going to sort of be interesting to see you know what happens in the next couple of years with yeah the yeah. ranking system I and how it works. i had a look through um yeah i, I saw a, a tweet that sean whip posted last week and dug into the figures he uh he uh illustrated there yeah. a bit and i think there's only there was uh the women's 800 at the minute at that point and it might change a little bit in the last week but uh it was tracking right at fifty percent. Got the big Q and, yeah. and the other fifty percent. So it was it was the only one that was working precisely yeah. as planned. And there were only, I think there were four or five. I can't remember which uh, other events that were in a forty-five to fifty percent, a fifty-five percent band. Yeah. So you know that were roundabout accurate. So that leaves another thirty-five or so that. Uh, you know that that there was a, a far higher proportion of, uh, of of big queues than than they envisaged. So yes, 
what that'll mean going forward, heaven knows. Because, it, I mean, one of the things with it's a new system, but we still don't really know how it's, it's going to work because this hasn't been a normal qualifying period. You know, it's been split into two. Yeah, well, there's a couple um, of athletes on. They've, they've been a lot more sort of staged attempts at, at qualifying yeah. because you can't get international competition as readily. Yeah. You know, so it's all, we still don't, we still, we won't have had a, a, a normal test year for it until at least next next year if we get one. Yeah, so, well, there was an athlete in the 800 yeah. earlier on in the the period where, you know, not as many guys, had, and he was really high up in the world rankings because he had a semi-final and a final from European Championships in 2018 that he got yeah, a lot right. of points on. So, yeah, yeah it is certainly, yeah. you know, with the window being so mm. big. Um, yeah. But, you yep. know, I think there's also a conversation that needs to be had around, you know, the equitability of, of points and, yeah, you know, there's so many in Europe. Yep. I, I think um, yes. Poland has yeah, more exactly. world ranking points than the whole of the Oceania region combined. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, I yeah. think there might need to be a bit mm. of a tweak to that. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure it's tweakable. But anyway, I will see. Yeah. It'll, it'll give the uh, it'll give the stats nerds a few sleepless nights, I'd imagine. But, uh, anyway, enough of all that sort of stuff. Let's um, let's sort of dip right back into the past. And I did a little bit of. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't remember this stat, but um, back in 2006, the Victorian titles on the MCG. Um, Rinaldi beat you in the 800 metres by uh, 0.2 of a second, 150.2 to 150.4. Yeah. So, and neither neither of you got to run in the uh, in the uh, you know the special. Uh, I don't know how that you know they had the uh, they had that extra invitation meeting within the Vic titles. Yeah, where yeah. There was an 800. Yeah, I think Crumo won in 147.1. I think he ran a PB yeah, in that meeting yeah. from memory. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. So it was the really. But that was that was just when you were getting started, really. And I just wonder your background before that. You 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 had quite a varied background in in athletics because you tried all sorts of events, and you, I think you were you were a two meter high jumper. And yeah, probably if you can high if you can high jump, you can long jump seven meters. I don't know, but you know what was what was your lead in to to middle distance running? Um, I always did it when I was younger. Um, and then I sort of didn't really grow until I was sort of 17, 18. So, um, yeah, I got a bit chubby and a bit slow and it wasn't until I sort of grew a lot that, um, and started sort of growing into my body that I started to show a little bit more ability. Um, I was also very fortunate to have, um, my high school PE teachers, James McInary, who was a 147 athlete. I was going to ask about him. Yeah. Yeah, 147 athlete himself. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I remember in year 12, I went to the all schools and I did the 400, the 800, the 1500 and the high jump all in the same meet. And I think I ran 50 okay. points something. I ran a 157 PB and won the 800. I think I finished seventh in the 1500 in a PB of 407. And then I jumped a PB yep. of two meters in the high jump in that weekend. Right. Um, okay. Yep. So I just yep. sort of bit, did a bit of everything. I did a little bit of training, sort of once a fortnight with um, Kirsten Farrance at Olympic Park, high jump coach. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah, Kirsten. Yeah, but I guess 
where it sort of really changed was um, I sort of asked James about, you know, I'll come down. I'd like to join Athletics Waverley um, because that was the club he ran for. And he sort of said, mm-hmm. oh, look, yeah. I think you're actually better to go down and join Knox. Um, he said there's better, oh, there's right, better coaching okay. down there and there's a lot more kids that are your age that you can kind of run with. So, yeah, yep. that's when yep. I kind of went down there and got introduced to Richard Huggins and – um yeah it was also a funny time like you know the internet wasn't very powerful um I remember that year going to National Cross even though I finished 14th at the all schools because everyone opted out of doing the Victorian all schools part they did the AV thing and right I've room with Liam Adams and I was doing sort of oh, okay. 15 to 20 minute runs down the dirt road back home in Narry Warren South thinking <laughs> I was, and I sort of thought, yeah, I've done all this training. I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. And then I sort of got a rude shock when I learned he was doing 125K a week. And look, there was no surprise that I finished. I think he or Dave McNeil won that year. Um, and I think there's no surprise that yeah. I think I finished 45th out of 50. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I guess um, that sort of 2006 period at, at all schools, I'd just come off playing AFL footy for under-19s at Mazon Old Coles. I sort of was running, but yep. I didn't really know what it was about. And, um, you know, I ran 153 in the heat. I think I ran 151 in the semi and then 150 in the final, and all three were PBs. I, I ran a PB in the heat, the semi, and the oh. final. Um and I actually didn't have the qualifying time to even go to nationals and or the Commonwealth Games trials, nor did I even know what that was at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember going with my brother to watch Craig run the 5K at the Com Games, and just the whole crowd was just on its feet and roaring. And yeah. you know, I came away yeah. from that night thinking, yeah, I probably should, you know, maybe try a bit harder at this. Um, and that's sort of when I sort of went with Rich Owen. I did the full cross-country season. And yep. it's quite funny even going mm. back through my training diary. I've got a training diary from 08. And um, I used to do 10-minute warm-up. And some of our sessions are only 2 or 3K long. Like I wasn't yep. sort of yep. doing much training. And it, it built up more. And, um, yeah, that season I just trained the whole winter. And I got reasonably fit. And yep. I think – yeah, anyway, that next six months, I went from 149.9, which I ran in Box Hill, like just before the Com Games, yeah. to yeah. running yeah. 146 in Melbourne, um, over, you know, in the space of a year, I guess. And then in that same yeah. year, I went from, I think, 356 down to 338, um, yep. just in that yep. domestic season, just by sort of getting fitter. Um you know, and that's yeah. when I met Nick and he took me to Europe and sort of showed me everything that, yeah, was and how it worked. And I, my first year I just sort of sat there watching Craig and watching how he trained and I was just like a sponge mm. and ended up with a navicular stress fracture at the end of it. But, um, yeah, it was sort of a valuable sort of learning thing. And, and yeah, just I guess yeah, yeah. it just went from there. I, every year I was just – running and um, traveling mm. to Europe. Um, yeah, I guess one of my big regrets yeah, well, is, though, that I just sort of, if I look back on my career, I probably never really had two years in a row where I didn't have an injury where I could start to build a bit of momentum. Um, 
Yeah. And I had two plantar surgeries. Um, I had navicular stress here. I've had osteitis pubis. I've had double hernia surgery. Um, yeah, I just sort of never really got going, unfortunately. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. It, just over that journey, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, I mean, you talk about being injured often, but, you know, you started started in 06, eh, and you're still going now. Yeah. Uh, Funnily enough, the bloke you mentioned earlier, Nick Nick Willis, he he's followed the same. He'd be another one from that, possibly the only other one uh, going around now, who's who's been around that long, yeah, and performing at a, a good good level. I don't know what Nick's injury history's been, but he's um, well. I think he's run a sub four every year, hasn't he? For yeah, there was um, some crazy uh, stat that came up in. I saw on yeah, Twitter at the start of the year he ran indoors. Possible number of years yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but do you think, I mean, have the injuries helped prolong, prolong your career in a way? Or, I mean, how's it, how's it played in? Obviously, it holds you back at times, but um, has it kept you sort of hungry and keen to do a little bit more still? Um, I think that you could make a case for you know missing you know some in some cases full years without running um just gives yep. your, your your body a bit of a break from the just the yeah the pounding of training and just yeah the workloads yep. that required um so yeah there's potential that it prolongs in that way i think also the fact that i didn't actually do the sport as a really a 16 17 year old um or not in yes. any real yep. capacity i think that's probably helped a little bit. Um, yeah, everyone says I don't look 34, so I don't know if maybe I'm blessed with gen- <laughs> blessed with genetics. Well, or, you don't. Or I've got to say that, but um, that's. But I'm 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 pe- I'm speaking from a perspective of eyes that are twice as old as you are. Yeah. So you know, I'm not quite, not quite sure my opinion counts for much there. But my biggest but, fear, um, probably the last 18 months, and and sort of getting back into the running was. You know, am I still going to have enough speed to to be a good 800 meter runner? And mm. um, and that's yeah, one thing that I always kind of worried about. But um, yeah, all the training I sort of done with JR, it's been really surprising. Like, yep. you know, I'm as fast, if not as fast as what I've ever been, which is, um, you know, I don't think there's too many people in the history of the sport where they start their first Olympics at the 1500 and then they spend their fourth Olympics at the 800. Mm. Normally, yeah, people yeah. sort of go the other way, you know, they, they sort of go up an event. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any particular role models of people who have demonstrated that, that sort of longevity? Um, um, any that you look up to? I mean, Nick, obviously, you, you there's a little exchange between the two of you on, on Twitter, which... Um, well, not not so much an exchange between the two of you, but you know, you both commented on each other's tweets. Yeah, and he's, he may be one, but are there others? One guy I can think of is an American named Johnny Gray, who ran the eight hundred for Yonks, and he was just a Johnny Gray was, a, you know, he was a go out hard and hang on, yeah, man. And he he start, he was running like that when he was twenty, and I reckon I'm not sure how old he was when he retired, but he. He probably would have been well into his 30s. Yeah, well, Johnny coached an athlete named Candivas Robinson. Um, That's right. And I used to race Candivas 
back early in my career and JR would always, you know, especially sort of earlier in the year where I was sort of getting going and, you know, sort of questioning, shit, is this going to happen or not? He would always send me a message, um, you know, Ken, I think Ken Davis ran 144.0 at 35. Um, right. And at 34, right. okay. I think he ran 145 or something. He would always send me these these stat, stats or times that people had run. Um, yeah, I guess just to show me that you can do it. Um, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, so he's probably one guy. But, yeah, just in terms of, you know, and I've already sort of touched on Nick, but, um, yeah, just, you know, watching him in Monaco all those years where he'd be out the back, but he just – his pace judgment was just incredible and he'd run through and run 329 yeah. and – you know, I'm seeing a yep, lot of yep. um, Nick Willis in in the way Jacob Ingebrigtsen sets up his race, and just how um, just ha- how good a tactician he is. You know, even if you I don't know if yes. you watched that 5K yeah. in um, Florence. You know, when they went really fast and Chepter yeah, guys, I did. I, well, I saw the last last few laps. Yeah, Chepter guys yeah. started putting the, yeah. dropping the hammer at 61s, and um, you know, Jacob mm. actually got dropped by about two or three seconds at the 3K mark, and He's just a guy that yes. never really panics. He just, you know, he, he, you know, he just stuck to his pace and his feel, and he kept work. He just gradually worked back onto him, and they slowed down. And he was in yeah. there at the end, and he outkicked him. And you know, I, I sort mm. of, mm. yeah, I guess Nick was one of the, one of the guys I looked up to because I, you know, I, I do sort of follow the sport, and I'm a bit of a student of the sport. And um, yeah, probably those two guys are, yeah, the two sort of most tactically you know, savvy guys, I think, are going around and just always turn up and perform yeah. really well, which I guess is what I try to do when I race. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it always helps when you when you can run around without panicking or, you know, I mean, 1500, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Wardwell's got this 500, 500, 500 formula, yep. which if you've ever spoken to him for longer than five minutes, about 15, yep. you've probably heard. But, you know, it... What I take out of that more is, well, you know, the structure 500, 500, 500. Yeah, I, I get that. But it's also, you know, no point losing energy in the first 500 metres worrying about your position. And oh, yeah. it's truth, I'm at the back. I've got to get up a few, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you just, you run where you are until it's time to run harder and then then you run harder and then you you run your finish you know, I mean, obviously, what others do can can change that a bit, but you're yeah. not you're not running your race before you get to the last five hundred, yeah. which happens to a lot of a surprising number of middle distance runners, including yeah. good ones. I so, tell you one thing though, I'd, mm. I'd love to um, try and work on Stewie's first one hundred meters of his fifteen hundred. <laughs> if he could just get off the line a fraction better, I reckon he would have run three twenty. He would have gone under three thirty by now. Yeah, yeah. Sort of well, looks he like might he do. Takes he might do. Yeah, and then just you just see him that first two hundred just coming around the whole outside of the pack, um, yes. and then taking yeah, his yeah. spot. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And what are you? What are your most memorable runs out of over fifteen, sixteen years? What you know, memorable runs, and maybe your most memorable championship. I know the one I I was in the Commonwealth Games headquarters team in 2014 and I mean a couple of fifths don't sound fantastic when you especially when you stack it up against the rest of Commonwealth games but I, I thought they were two 
given the uh, you know the quality of the fields that you run against in middle distance and distance at Commonwealth Games, that they're not much below World Championships. So they were two pretty good runs. But you know, what's your own your own feeling on your yeah your highlights to date? Um, yeah, Com Games Glasgow was just incredible. I don't know how I did those five days in a row. Um, just like the caffeine and then, you know, trying to get to sleep at night. And um, mm. I think I was just running off adrenaline. But, yeah, that 800-meter race, you know, to be – I think I missed a medal by, I think, 0.06. Um, yes. But the guys yeah. in front of me were Nigel Amos, David Radisha, Ferguson, um, Rotish. All, Ferguson, Rotish was fourth. Uh, he was a South African. Yeah, David Oliver, video. I think. No, yeah. Uh, he was a 144 okay. mid guy himself. Um, yeah. You know, so that was that was obviously pretty memorable. And you know, I had my family in the crowd every single night, so that was just that was a nice feeling. And and I guess that yep. was sort of also at a point in my career where I'd I'd left Nick and um, moved across to Andrew Russell. And I guess I kind of got I used to get a lot of criticism about not sort of competing at being at you know running. 332 and 333 and 144 and not being able to turn up and and run at a major championship mm. so that was you know for me personally that was that was pretty special just to you know to be able to do that um yep. and then there's probably yep. two races 2011 i was in really good shape and i um i won the Estrava 1k there um in one uh in 216.6 which was world lead at that time um, and that was a really stacked field. Had Olympic silver medalist in it from the 800. Um, Adam yeah, Schott yeah. was in it, and you know the K is probably nearly my best event. Um, so that was that was good. But probably the best race I think is um, 2011 Oslo Dream Mile. I ran 352.2, I think. Um, but it was pouring rain, um, and with about 200 to go, I was third, right behind Kiprop. Um, and I remember the race because it just the whole crowd went crazy at about 300 to 200 where I started to move down the back straight and mm. um, yeah they kind of just had a bit more strength than me in the last 80 meters and um, you know I think yeah. Kiprop had run 347 or 348 at um, uh, in Eugene at pre only a week Eugene, uh, yeah, yeah a week before so yeah. you know that field was had all the best guys in the world in it um and to finish sort of fifth you know and, and sort of when i look back you know there's another oslo race i finished fifth yeah there's you know to when you can come fifth in a diamond league you, you're doing pretty well there's yeah, yeah um yeah. and and yeah. probably something i didn't embrace or enjoy that moment as much as i i should have back then because i was always so driven to, to want more um yeah yeah so that that's probably when i think back mm. on my races they're probably the three yeah, right. Okay, that's a good. That's a good three. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to Tokyo. What are you? Um, what are your hopes and your plans there? Have you got races uh, after this little altitude stint? Um, yeah, uh, managers. Final lead up. Yeah, managers sort of working on um, sort of races, maybe Sotteville or Gateshead um, on the eleventh or the thirteenth. Um, I'm, yeah, right. I'm at Font-Rameau, so, um, you know, I had three weeks of racing where I didn't really do much training, um, so I sort of knew that if I ran the time, I needed to go probably back and get a three weeks of training done just to sort of re-top up yep. going into Tokyo, yep. um, 
yeah, so I'm up at Font Remote at the moment. Um, yeah, just sort of getting some good work out. I think I hit another 110k last week and got a couple of tough right. sessions yeah. planned this week. So yeah, everything's going really well, and um, I think I'm going to go from hopefully it's Gateshead to um, to begin to meet up with Pete, um, and I'll have a week yep. training at sea level and and sort of just do those final touches, um, which will be great because you know Pete's so far so um to have someone to be able to sort of do those kind of sessions and and you know hopefully we can push each other to yeah just get ourselves in you know the best possible shape we can be going into tokyo and um yeah yeah i'm I'm really excited for tokyo you know this is probably nearly the first time i'm going to an olympics where i feel like you know i've got two years of training behind me my body's the best it's ever been and you know i'm running well and i can actually sort of go there and you know and compete well you know you know when i sort of reflect on my last three they you know performance wise they haven't been great you know beijing i was sick um 2012 i ran a pb either side of the olympics but didn't run very well at the olympics Mm. and and had some pretty bad osteitis pubis and and then 2016, I was just coming in off a really short prep and just the travel into to, to Rio just kind of killed me off. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can sort of, yeah, have a, you know, a championship similar to I did in Beijing in 2015 where I sort of pretty comfortably qualified through the heats. And, you know, I, I sort of see the semi as, you know, the way I race, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I can finish really hard and I can be scaring some blokes for those, you know, final few, you know, places for an Olympic final. Mm. Um, you know, and if yeah. I can sort of do that yeah. and, you know, I think I'll, you know, I, I still may run on next year. I still, um, you know, think I can and I can run well. It just sort of depends on a few other sort of life things. But, um, yeah. you know, if not, yeah. um, you know, and part of the, re- you know, this is my first team in five years and I've, I've been through, you know, pretty tough five years. And, um, you know, there was a moment there where I was sort of reflecting on my career, probably somewhat negatively just because of, you know, some of the struggles lately. So, um, you know, part of having the Achilles surgery and sort of getting back and enjoying my running was just to sort of, you know, finish on, on my own terms a bit and, and go out sort of enjoying the sport for the way I remember it and not sort of, you know, coming off, you know cortisones and you know anti-inflammatories where you know your stomach's bleeding and you know and not have yes. those kind of memories of the sport um you know so mm. yeah i'm really grateful you know that yeah the last sort of three weeks really aligned and my manager did an incredible job in terms of you know finding me races with good pacemakers good weather and 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 good fields yeah, and yeah, no, and gave me an opportunity you know two of the races were world were one in world leads and, and gave me an opportunity to run the time mm. and um yes you know yeah. I, yeah i guess for olympics i i don't i think it's i think i'm number no, uh, nine in athletics or track and field um who have been yep. to four and i think the vast majority are, are more the marathon i think Deke and Mono yeah, and Deke and Mono and, and Lisa. Lisa, I think, all did it. Yeah, yeah. So and now, yeah, and now another Lisa will be a four-time Olympian, like yourself, Lisa Waitman. Yeah, yeah, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty. Yeah, yeah, four. she's the same four. Yeah, yeah. you know, Mottram obviously mm. went to four on the track, so you know, I know my results yeah. probably aren't as quite as good at the Olympics as some of those those people, but um, yeah, just to, I guess be 
in their company is pretty, um, yeah, a, a privilege and something, you know, when I yeah. sort of look back on my career, I'm, I'll be pretty happy about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just, well, the other thing I was going to say, you know, um, James, was he was as excited as anything James Merchant. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he contacted me. I was lucky I... <laughs> Lucky I turned the phone off at night because I I didn't take note of the time he sent the tweet, but it was probably three a.m. or something. Yeah, uh, and he was he's bubbling over. But um, Justin's Justin's more Justin, and he he filed the you know up your up <laughs> yeah, yours yeah. or you doubters, you know. Yeah, <laughs> which I think was uh, that's yeah Justin's yeah. But you're uh, I mean, did you? Was that a, a motivation for you? You don't strike me as the sort of bloke who, who would be overly motivated by trying to show the bastards they're all wrong. But, you know, um, just has, has that been a bit of a spur getting back in any way at all for you? Or, um, no, not or really. Not? It's always like what I love about, right, you know, about the sport is I love the, the Saturday morning sessions with the guys and, you know. Yep hanging out eight by a K and pushing each other and, you know, or doing four, four hundreds and, you know, that feeling you get from a session and, uh, you know, just every week you can sort of feel yourself getting better and you, you know, you're working towards a goal. They're, they're yeah. all the things that I love about the sport. And it's sort of, I don't, I think why I haven't been able to give it away when I probably, you know, there's probably moments in the last few years where I should have, I just kind of kept holding on, um, Yep. You know, so I don't, you know, I knew people probably doubted me and I probably had more doubt than anybody. Um, but yeah. ultimately it was probably, um, it was all, it was, I was doing it for myself. But, you know, another thing that I sort of did struggle with is, you know, I I, I, I know I'd turn up to a track and, um, you know, to a meet and I'd not be embarrassed, but I feel like everyone would be kind of looking at me, you know, because, you know, I used to be this guy who would turn up in Australia and hardly lose, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so yep. part of it was yep. sort of about letting go of that ego a bit and and just sort of trying to get the process right and, and doing all the things you can control to run well. And, yeah, so I don't think I've, yeah, really cared about, you know, people not thinking I can do it. It's more, yeah, probably me and my own sort of, self-identity within the yeah. sport and um yeah, good yeah good. so mm, i think that's a that's a healthy attitude if i can say so but i i might i might close on just one other question i, I or observation slash question we um a couple of those times I, I can't actually remember what how long ago it was but in recent years when we've we've been going in and running around the town on saturday mornings yeah. and uh we saw we saw you a few times. We saw Luke Luke Matthews when he was trying to get back to a few times. And yeah, I remember one time we 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 got back to the cafe afterwards, and you probably come past the other way, and you know we said, oh yeah, great great to see Jeff running, but yeah, you know someone said, oh I reckon if we turned around, we might have been able to keep up with him, which was of course an illusion, an illusion anyway, but. Uh, <laughs> So maybe for your homework, you could just sort of let us know where we went wrong because you've obviously picked up very well since then and we're, us not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we certainly haven't got down to uh, a 144.800 again. So not that we ever were there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, look, it, it's been great sort of following your career through, Jeff, and um, 
and uh, as with all us uh, retired athletes, you make us feel a hell of a lot better when we see someone doing what you've done this year at um, at an advanced athletic age yeah. anyway. So, um, yeah, uh, all the best to you for Tokyo and thank you for some uh, some great sort of races and memories over over the years too. It's been... Uh, it's been really great following your, your career. So. Yeah, well, I, I sort of remember you, Lenny, from the early days, um, Fernie Creek on a Sunday morning. You'd be up there running around with yeah. with Trev and, <laughs> and everyone and sitting and having yep. a coffee afterwards. So, yeah, and then mm. obviously Glen Huntley Athletics and Knox Athletics, little, not much of a rivalry, but, yeah, seeing me around all the local stuff. So, you know, I just sort yeah, of thought yeah. you were yep. pretty fitting to um, – yeah, to do this podcast with considering, you know, how oh, closely good. you've uh, yeah. seen my career and, yeah, <laughs> you know, even seeing you on the tan mm, and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, then there's, there's the coincidence that we, we we pretty well started Victorian Milers Club up for you. <laughs> you, you sort of, you came along pretty early in the piece and there's not there's not many who've run, you probably haven't raced every single year, but there's not many who were who raced Milers Club meetings back in our first season who were still racing. When now, when so. was the first season? Was it oh, that oh six? Uh, oh five oh six. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We only had three. We had three meets. I think one one before Christmas, two after, and the third one was that pre Commonwealth Games. Yeah, and it gave me the opportunity uh, to race with, um, mm, Nick um, McCormick, McCormick. Um, Tamblin yes. from New Zealand. Uh, Roffy was in it. Yes. Um, Yep, yeah, yep. I ran. That was the first yeah, time I went yeah. under 150. I think it was hand timed, so I don't know if it completely counted. Yeah, but that yeah. Was, well, I'm, that was the I'm, first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can, I can vouch the quality of the timing would have been better then because I wasn't doing it. So. <laughs>